And turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. If you're visiting with us and maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, we're glad you're here. You'll find uh, that text printed on page 9 of your worship guide. I printed uh, uh, verses 2 through 6, but we're only going to look at and read uh, verses 2 through 4 today. We'll look at 5 and 6 next week. This is God's Word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Would you join with me as we pray together one more time and ask God's blessing on his word preached. Let's pray. King Jesus, you're on your throne. One with you, we cannot die. One with you, we're righteous. One with you, we are seated in the heavenly places. And one with you, we will be transformed into a glory like yours when you come again. Until that time, would you feed us, our shepherd, on the words of the gospel? Would you equip us for every good work? Would you train us for righteousness by your word? And we pray this in your name, our Savior, our King, our prophet and priest. Amen. You know, it, uh, I think it's, it continues to strike me um, that, and, uh, that the ordinary Christian is just such an extraordinary being, right? Because we belong to Jesus Christ, the most ordinary of us belongs to an extraordinary kingdom that is advancing in the world with life-changing world, changing power, the most ordinary of us is extraordinary because we've been raised with Jesus Christ and given the status of sons, one with the son. We are sons in God's household. That's a royal title. We're seated with Jesus, raised and seated with him in the heavenly places. That's extraordinary. The most ordinary of us is in an extraordinary position. And that extraordinary position is because we belong to an extraordinary king who is doing extraordinary things in this world. But it's upside down. It's always upside down. The weakest things in Jesus' kingdom produce the greatest power. The weakest people, the most vulnerable of us, are the ones who are most cherished and protected by God. He's a good shepherd, Jesus says, who goes after the weak ones and the wandering ones and throws them over his shoulder and, and brings them back. It's an upside down. We're the, we're the world champions, those who are extraordinary. Jesus champions the weak and always uses weak and vulnerable things to advance his kingdom. Something such so simple as his word is like a seed planted into the ground, grows into a big tree and The birds of the air can find their nest in it. Seed that's scattered on the ground will produce a harvest 30, 60, or 100 fold. It multiplies the weakest and most vulnerable things. And one of those that should not surprise us is that his kingdom advances with power 
when his people pray. It's just a weak and vulnerable thing. These words to my shame have been on my lips more often than not. What can I do for you besides pray? I've said it a thousand times and it betrays something about me. It, a very deeply held, subtle belief that things get accomplished when I take things into my own hands. Treat prayer like it's that little extra thing that we can do. But the real work is done by me, my plans, my ingenuity, my assessment, my efforts. And so here's Paul in prison, most likely in Rome, writing to this little church in this little town in a forgotten part of the Asian Peninsula, modern-day Turkey, called Colossae. And he says to them, continue steadfastly in prayer. You know, one of the things the gospel does for us is it gives us a new identity. And that new identity should free us towards normalcy. Hey, not... I know that sounds odd because we're used to hearing do big things for Jesus and accomplish tremendous things in his name. But after Paul spends the first three chapters, the better part of three chapters, talking about the extraordinary preeminence of the risen Jesus Christ who's reigning over all things, he doesn't go to the most extraordinary things, he goes to the most ordinary things most basic functions this is where the kingdom should impact us the most just normal life he's addressed how the gospel changes how we relate to family members then he broadened the scope a little bit and talked about how the gospel changes the way we relate in our careers our employee employer relationship and now he's going really broad and he's going to address how the gospel actually goes forward and shapes and transforms the broader world through the prayers of the most ordinary people. He's kind of grabbed them and said, look, you're just an ordinary church in an ordinary city who can advance the extraordinary mission of the gospel. By praying. Here's what you can do. Continue steadfastly in prayer. The Lord Jesus moves his kingdom forward. And he could move it forward without involving any of us. He's the one who created all things by the word of his power. He simply spoke all creation into existence by that same word of his power he upholds all of creation the rain the storms the sun and its fiery glory and immense power in his hand being raised in the morning and set at night he makes the seasons rise and fall by his power he could do it without us but he's chosen to expand his mission his work of recreation in this world by involving us in the most ordinary things. We've seen throughout the book of Colossians how many times we're told to hold fast to Jesus Christ and his word will produce fruit in us. Now this most ordinary thing in begging God 
laying our concerns before him, Jesus moves his mission forward. His mission has always been to take what's broken in this world and put it back together. From the very beginning, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, the the goal was to expand the kingdom of God, the little garden kingdom. They were to subdue it and grow it until the glory of God covered the whole earth. And when they fell into sin, God didn't abandon that promise. He just put the weight of that kingdom expansion on the shoulders of someone else, his coming son. When Abraham is called by God out of Ur the Chaldees to go far off and leave his land. He's given him a promise. I'll bless you and a mission that you'll be a blessing to the nations. The, the mission of God has always been to expand the reach of his kingdom until it covers the whole earth. And he, Jesus could do this without us. But he's chosen. He's chosen to involve us. You. Here in Columbia, Tennessee, in the most extraordinary ways. You see, the mission of Jesus has always been to involve the entirety of his body. Not just missionaries who are far off in the field who we support and, and encourage and send. Or not just the pastors who preach and teach. Or not just gifted evangelists. They're not the hero heroes in the kingdom. They need to be They need to be supported and encouraged. They do their part. You do your part. Your role is extraordinary because you bow before an extraordinary king to advance the mission of Jesus. Our mission as a church marries this, to join Jesus in his work of building the kingdom. And one of the ways we do that is to speak to each other and to our neighbors about Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that is to speak to Jesus about our neighbors who don't know him, about our brothers and sisters who are struggling. John Piper's got this provocative passage in uh, his book on missions, Let the Nations Be Glad. Some of you are familiar with this. And he's borrowing here... He's borrowing from, uh, and I think heavily from Colossians chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. That language, watchful, is military language. He's borrow, Paul is borrowing from the idea like uh, the enemy is on the move and we need to be watchful and advances in prayer. And Piper says this, he says, life is war, that's not all it is. But it is always that. It's never less than that. And our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising then that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts from the den. Now that's sort of an old school reference. Maybe we'd say prayer is like uh, students. It's like texting mom from your bedroom to bring you something to drink. That's when it malfunctions. When we just use it for our creature comforts. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. So that we can call headquarters for everything that we need. As the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. 
Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory as the limited provider, the unlimited provider, the limitless provider. Prayer is the mark of the new life. You want to know what it looks like to, to be able to test yourself? Am I really born again? Am I really part of this kingdom? Prayer here is the mark of the new life. The person who belongs to the new creation is growing in one very particular way, weakness and dependency. And the sign of dependency is learning to ask. The weak person stops trying to do things for themselves. The sign of dependency is that we want God to get the glory. And so we learn to ask. We learn to ask for him to work. You see, the person who works and doesn't pray is like an astronaut who trains for years, climbs into the rocket ship, leaves out the fuel. Much training, much work, much excitement, much anticipation, but there is no power there to drive the forward in the mission. All the structure, all the trainings done, all the technology employed, no power to fuel it forward in its mission. You can't get to space without an external power source and you can't advance the kingdom of Christ with the external power of the risen Jesus and the way that he has chosen to employ that in the world is when his people embrace dependency and weakness and bow our knee please work so let's talk I love one of the most neglected books it's a book on prayer and my personal favorite is a book probably none of you have heard of by um, or Norwegian called Ole Hallisby. O-L-E, Ole Hallisby. And this is my favorite line. To most of us, prayer is burdensome because we've not learned that prayer consists in telling Jesus what we or others lack. It just, it's, it gets too, it's just simple. I don't have, I need you to work. My child doesn't have, they're not who I want them to be. They're, they're suffering, they're broken, they're, they're walking away from Jesus. I don't have, I need you to work. And then he goes on, prayer is the helpless soul's helpless look to a gracious friend. Boy, this is something that the most ordinary of us can do to accomplish the most extra ordinary things of the world and it doesn't shouldn't surprise us that such a, a weak seemingly vulnerable thing would advance the kingdom of the extraordinary risen Jesus Christ to do the work of recreation in this world because he has chosen the weak things to display his power so let's talk how we can pray here from Colossians chapter 4 five things that we are to do that should shape our prayers that move the kingdom of Jesus forward in our weakness. Five things. One, continue steadfastly. Keep doing it. I think Paul understands just how difficult prayer is. It is hard work. No one is great at it. No one, it doesn't come easily 
to any of us. The devil is, is raising his armies when we bow our knee to distract us. You find yourself moment by moment struggling with it. It doesn't come easy. When it comes easy, it's just extraordinary times. And most of the time is requiring much work. And because of that, most of us don't have hours to spend on our knees. Most of us can't do that. A lot of you are like me, the attention span of a gnat. And so I love this image from Charles Spurgeon. He says, look, this is how I approach prayer. I approach it like I'm going to a bank teller. Right? I'm not there to have a long conversation. I have a check. I need it cashed. The transaction going on. And so he says, I, what I do is I walk into the throne room of God and say, God, I need you to do this. I've got this meeting coming up or this conversation with this person. And I'm weak and I don't know what to say. Cashing in this check that you've promised to be at work. And so I'm asking you to go. And it's just so simple, right? I love the image because it transforms the way we think about prayers. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out, hour-long affair. Sometimes in our weakness, we can just walk into the bank. God, I need you to work. I need you to help me have this conversation with my spouse. I need to help you. I need you to help me have this conversation with my child. I, I, I need to help. I need your help in this conversation with my neighbor. Secondly, continue steadfastly. Keep at it. Keep at it until God answers your prayer. Don't give up. Stay in it. Jesus tells this parable in Luke 11 about a man who just keeps bugging his neighbor in the middle of the night for three loaves of bread. In midnight, he's knocking on his neighbor's door and his neighbor says, go away. And he knocks again and he says, go away. And he knocks a third time and he says, go away. And, and Jesus' point isn't like, don't be a bad neighbor. That's really annoying. He says, no, look, don't you know, this is, I'll tell you, though he will not give up and give him anything because he's his friend, but because of his impudence, because he's just nagging. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Cash in that check. The teller of God's throne. Impudently just keep asking, remaining steadfast in prayer until God accomplishes the work of his kingdom in the lives of the people that you care about. That kind of persistence does not annoy God it pleases him and it moves his hand keep asking steadfastly until he answers third be watchful again this is military language like a soldier who is on night watch and needs to be alert for enemies who might infiltrate the camp right and the christian is living in a hostile culture that's been the norm. There have been exceptions for the last 50 years. It's been kind of easy to be a Christian in this country. But the norm over church history, we're reverting back to the norm, is hostility. And so Paul understands this because he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. And so he's borrowing this language. Be watchful. Be on guard. 
to carry the metaphor of war into modern times is what prayer is. It's calling in air support. Imagine yourself fighting a warrior against an entrenched insurgency. And that's what sin and Satan are. They're forces of darkness that have entrenched themselves in our own hearts and in this world. And they love to hide out and attack. And so when you're taking heavy flack, be watchful. Watch out for it. And then you realize when you are being overpowered, you call in air support. God, come. These high-tech bombers in those instants are, are dropping weapons that are insurmountable. And so God, help. And the Spirit moves. And the powers of darkness are destroyed. That's what the Son has come to do, to destroy the evil one in his works. And the remaining sin in our hearts, it's just growing up past our ability to handle it. Wiped out by the mother of all sons who's destroying it with his gospel. You see, there's two instances in the book of Acts that prove this. Prove the power of prayer to bring shock and awe power when hostilities are arising. In Acts chapter 4, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders are growing in their hostility to Christianity. So they command the apostles, be silent about the gospel. And so the apostles go back to the church and they tell them about this hostility and the church's first instinct isn't to boycott or protest or throw up a rant on Facebook. Their first instinct is to pray for boldness. Acts chapter 4 verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then verse 33, this is what happens. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Shock and awe. Through the most weak, meager things. Just pray. And then in Acts 12, again it happens. Herod arrests James, the brother of John, and he kills James. And he sees that that brings favor amongst the Jews. And so he arrests Peter with the intent to kill him as well. And so the church gets together in John Mark's boyhood home. Many were gathered and they were praying as Peter's in prison. James has already been killed. Peter's going to the gallows himself to be killed. And so they pray. And this is what happens. When Herod was about to bring Peter out that very night, Peter was sleeping between two 
soldiers bound with chains, sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angels left him. Be watchful. Means you need to be in tune to the kind of persecutions, the kind of movement of the evil one, the kind of awakening of sin in your life. Be watchful for those things and drop down. Perhaps our prayerlessness is because the pain of the perishing world doesn't move us. You see, if we minimize the utter brokenness of the world, then we'll feel like we can handle this. But if we see our utter helplessness, the utter brokenness of the world, the utter devastation of sin, then we'll see that Jesus is the only answer and we'll bow our knee because not only is he the only answer, he is the sufficient answer. Pray that God now, after being watchful and continuing steadfastly, pray that God may open doors. Paul reminds them, the Colossians, that he is in prison on account of the gospel. Verse 3, pray that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. This is what happens when the church prays. The gospel goes forward. Rome and all of its power imprisoning the Apostle Paul has no power over the gospel. It can't hold it in when the people in Colossians pray. F.F. Bruce, that great commentator on the New Testament, he says, look, here's what's going on. Paul's in prison in Rome, the royal city the seat of earthly, all earthly power in this little church, in this little town in the backwoods of Turkey, in Asia Minor, F.F. Bruce. Here there are two communities, the world and the church, arrayed against each other, each wielding an appropriate weapon. On the one side was the authority of Herod, Caesar, the power of the sword and the security of the prison. On the other side, the church turned to prayer, which is the only power which the powerless possess. And who wins? The powerless ones who've latched hold of Jesus. When Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, those gates are defensive measures. And they won't win because his kingdom is marching forward. Satan is on the defense. And while Paul was shut up in house arrest by the immense power of the Roman Empire, the gates of hell were being opened by this little church in this small town in 
Colossae because they were on their knees and there are no small people before the throne of grace when they're on their knees. Pray also for clear proclamation. I said five, I'm going to make it six. Getting a little extra today. Pray for clear proclamation. Not only the doors would be open, but that I might make it clear. Paul feels his own insufficiency. He's frequently recognizes he's not eloquent. He was small. He wasn't physically imposing. He's weak. So he needs help making the gospel clear. Look, here's the reality. If you don't think the preacher's sermon makes sense, it's your fault. You aren't praying for clarity. You felt this. You don't know what to say. Your, your neighbor is, is there. They don't know Jesus. Your co-worker is without hope. You just don't know what to say. You aren't weird. You're not an exception. You're not a failure. You are the norm. And so you're in your weakness. Call back up. Call your life group members. I've got a chance to, to share the gospel. I think God's opened a door. Please pray for clarity. Can't do this on my own. And remember this. Better a botched gospel than no gospel. Because God will take a botched gospel and make it clear in the hearts of his elect. Lastly, pray with thanksgiving. Bitterness and hopelessness are deadly venom to prayer that makes it die a slow death. I found myself this week really struggling spiritually, not apathetic, just avoiding Jesus. And as I was walking around my yard, I realized that I'd grown in bitterness to God because things weren't going the way I wanted them to go. And I realized my heart was grumbling, almost like a little child. Well, if you aren't going to give me what I want, then I'm just going to stay away from you. And as the Spirit was convicting me of my sinful grumbling, He was calling at the same time, He was calling to remembrance all of these things that God has done, very significant things in answer to prayer. And the thankfulness as he recounted those things for me just melted away my bitterness. This is why the most frequent command in Scripture is to remember. Remember what God has done in redemptive history for his people Remember the times that he's moved his hand when they are most helpless to deliver them. Remember that when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, without hope, they prayed and he delivered them. Remember the times, big and small, when you've asked him to do something and he's actually done it. This is why I think keeping a, a prayer journal, maybe it's just a note on your phone. That's what I do. I just got a note on my phone. These are the things that I'm praying for. And then I mark them out. I just mark them out. God actually answered this. It doesn't have to be complicated. Review it once a week. Just see, God is answering your prayers. Keep a journal. Just 
keep the list so that you can remember with thankfulness. Let me close with this. Benjamin Kwashi was the Anglican bishop of Jos, Nigeria. And like much of Nigeria had been rocked by sectarian violence over the last 20 years, Christians and Muslims at war. It's sort of awful kind of war. And in March 2009, a gang of people broke into the bishop's house with the intent they were going to kill him. They couldn't find him. He wasn't there. They found his wife, and they did unspeakable things to her. Then beat her and left her for dead. When he found her, she was still alive, but she spent most of the year in recovery. A year later to the day, that same gang showed up. They came back. They broke into his home again, and this time they found Benjamin. And they dragged him out of his house, and they were about to kill him. They had machetes and clubs. And so Benjamin asked for one thing. Would you give me a moment to pray? And so he knelt there in the dirt, and he began to pray. And he felt a hand on his shoulder And he looked up and it was his wife. She could have run. Instead, she broke through the line of the people who had attacked her a year ago and knelt with her husband to pray with him, knowing that her life was going to be over as well. And in a moment later, he felt another hand on his shoulder. And he looked up and it was his teenage son and he begged him, leave. Leave, they're going to kill you as well. And his son looked at him and said, Father, they've all left. They're all gone. Why did they leave? Because in their utter weakness, they called in air support and the king unleashed his power. The manifold wisdom of God was put on display before the powers and authorities in the heavenly realm. And there was wisdom and power there that they could not comprehend. And they became afraid of these two weak, vulnerable people on their knees, and they left. Continue steadfastly in prayer asking that doors would be open for the gospel, clarity would be granted and do so with thankfulness because God is on the move and he's answering. Let's pray. Father, oh, would you make us a dependent people known for unleashing your power across this world We pray, Father, even now that you would move in our city and bring winds of revival. That you would put an end to the drug trade in our city by winning drug dealers to Jesus Christ. That you would take apathetic students and give them a burning zeal for your holiness. That you would would make us a people who embraced our own weakness so that we would despair of our strength and call out to you for help. For Father, if you would do these things, 
we would praise and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.